Welcome to the Bromley Buzz podcast, Robert Dawes, uh, aka in this case Plum or PG Woodhouse, I'm led to believe. Yeah, well, yes, uh, at this moment in time, um, going into 2023, that is um, who I'm currently portraying, very, very happily, I have to say. And you'll be doing so at the Churchill Theatre in Bromley between the 9th and the 11th of March, which, as I told you in the preliminaries, I'm looking forward to immensely because I'm a massive Woodhouse fan. Well, that's that's lovely to hear. Um, I'm, yeah, we are. We, we, the, the Churchill Theatre Bromley, which I haven't been to uh, since 1983, where I appeared in an Agatha Christie, and then there were none, um, and got bumped off at the end of Act One, and rather rather nasty death by poison, I seem to recall. But uh, yeah, yeah, looking forward to it immensely. Well, P.G. Woodhouse was not known for his uh, murder mysteries, so I think you might survive this show. Now, although he did write some murder mysteries, I think I've got one of them here. Really? Look, look at that. Yes. Look at that. Death at the Excelsior. Well, P. I'm alone. Yes. Oh, yes, indeed. So uh, he didn't go into that particular um, genre uh, particularly uh, heavily, but he, he he did dally with it and and loved it. So um, was a great admirer of Conan Doyle, of course. So um, yeah, that there there is there is literature available in that particular genre. Would you like to give a little bit of an introduction for anyone who may not be utterly familiar with Woodhouse, including myself, yes. evidently after that. But, um, <laughs> no. And you're an expert. <laughs> Who was he and um, uh, what did he write that uh, has made him so important that he's got a touring show around the country? Well, I think, well, I know that P.G. Woodhouse or Plum, as he was known to those near to him, um, is recognised and was recognised in his own lifetime um, as one of the great... Um, uh, literary giants of the 20th century, uh, although he was born nearly 20 years into the uh, uh, the 19th century. Um, and worldwide, he has an international uh, uh, reputation for his comic writing, um, which um, is as popular today as pro probably was in the 1930s, uh, in, in his sort of heyday. Um, he was known for writing, and this is what the play Woodhouse in Wonderland goes into to some degree, in, in writing in his particular world. I mean, none of his stories went beyond 1914. Uh, George Orwell called him an Edwardian, Edwardian writer. And that is something that uh, didn't upset P.G. Woodhouse because he created a fantasy world. His Edwardian England uh, with Jeeves, uh, um, Bertie Worcester and Blandings Castle and Lord Emsworth and the Empress of Blandings, that wonderful prize-winning pig, uh, were all sort of living in a, a fantasy world, which Woodhouse uh, created and continued continued to write in that particular way all his life, from a young man in his 20s all the way through to his death in his 90s. So um, it's a prolific writer who had a big influence on uh, the world of literature um, and is admired greatly for his work today. And it's fascinating. We're going to India at some point with this production and, and, and the States, where there's a, a, a huge following of devotees of, of his work. So it's going to be fascinating taking this show uh, literally uh, from Bromley and outwards around the world and uh, seeing what the reaction is. 
Um, Evelyn Moore uh, talked about the way that Woodhouse had created a, a world that was better than our own for, that we could live in eternally, as it were, oh, yeah. as a result of Woodhouse's writing. And, he did. Uh, he, yeah, I mean, he's he, and he inscribed one of his books to uh, uh, Plum Woodhouse. Uh, he said uh, to um, to Doctor Woodhouse, the master of my profession, which coming from Evelyn Moore is a is a pretty uh, extraordinary. Um, uh, compliment. So the show, which is Woodhouse in Wonderland, um, tell me about uh, why that was chosen as the title and uh, which of the characters or a sample of the characters might be sampled during the evening. Well, um, it, Woodhouse in Wonderland comes from a, a title that Plum used himself about his uh, sort of attached to his diary of his time when he was in, in internment. He was interned during the Second World War, early stages of the Second World War uh, by the Germans and was in a German internment camp or ILAG um, for uh, the best part of a year, which had, a, an extra, you know, understandably, a, a deep impact uh, uh, in many, many ways, both pr uh, personally, emotionally, and, and publicly. Um, but uh, I think his diaries uh, that he made over that, uh, over that time were sort of loosely called Woodhouse in Wonderland. And William Humble, uh, who's written the play, um, has taken that because the essence of the play is that... Uh, Woodhouse, in, to, in order to create, as he said himself, his um, frivolous and light-hearted entertainments to which he had dedicated his life, needed to work in a bubble. Um, George Orwell once said to uh, uh, Woodhouse, he said that he thought people were just jealous of him because he'd got away with it so long. And Woodhouse said, got away with what? And he said, got away with living in your lovely little bubble your beautiful dream world. And uh, this is what the play is about. It's set in Woodhouse's New England, um, Long Island um, study. Um, he's in his late 60s. He's looking back over his life, his successes, his trials and tribulations. And he's um, and he starts to tell his stories through his characters, through his his uh, fictional works, but also into that comes the reality of what uh, he went through and the cost of actually having to write in the way that he chose to, which meant that he had to be cut off, really, and he had a rigorous discipline, as you'll know, that every morning he'd get up, he'd do what he called his daily dozen, which was, uh, for me, is the most strenuous part of the show, because I have to do a little bit of that, a little bit of that. <laughs> um, and um, then he'd uh, have his breakfast, which would be a toast and marmalade, a slice of coffee cake and a mug of tea. And he'd set about reading his breakfast because he called it which was usually an Edgar Wallace or a Dorothy L. Sayers or an Agatha Christie because he was always after plots and then he'd work through the morning and in the afternoon he'd go for a walk with his beloved dogs um, and then he'd come back and do a little bit more work and at 5.15 on the dock every single day after he'd had his bath um, he would have uh, martinis would be served usually by his wife Ethel known as Bunny and then he'd re relax through the evening and, and read. And he did that day in, day out, uh, uh, all through his life. And as a result, uh, he was so disciplined, he managed to produce the vast number of books that he, he did and to the quality uh, 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 that uh, he always maintained uh, as well. So the play 
is about that. And in that, in answer to your question, eventually, um, we're going to meet with Gussie Finknottle, Madeline Bassett, Bertie and Jeeves, of course, Lord Emsworth. We're going to be meeting his niece, Angela. We're going to be meeting the Empress of Blanding. We're going to be meeting uh, the beach, the butt. I mean, an array of characters. So, although it's a solo performance, um, it, it becomes a great relief to anyone watching it. That, in actual fact, I do manage to share the stage with people far more interesting than me, um, and uh, and hopefully they are vividly brought to life. When we started working on this, uh, William Humble, Bill. Uh, and I we started talking about. It, and I said, I've got an image of, of this play of being like that um, black and white uh, drawing of Dickens in his study in Rochester, where he's sitting, thinking, you know, and above his head, like in, like cartoon bubbles, they're all pictures of of his most popular characters. And I said, that's sort of what I feel Woodhouse is doing, you know, trying to sort of focus on. His enthusiasms and uh, and sharing uh, his his mind with an audience through his uh, uh, cre creations. Well, that, that sounds quite fascinating. And uh, you haven't mentioned the dark side of Woodhouse here as such. No, 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 no. the wit, the arts. Uh, um, he had a thing about aunts in his fiction, so much so um, yes. one of his books was called Aunts Aren't Gentlemen, as you will appreciate. So uh, yes. do, do, do the aunts uh, appear in your dialogues? Yeah, oh, do they ever? Yes. I <laughs> mean, I, you can't really. I mean, as, as I say in the play, I said, yes, yes, it has been observed that I have something of an obsession with aunts in my writing, most of whom are not the most agreeable of women, um, which is a bit harsh on his novels, but it actually relates to his, his childhood because, you know, as the play goes into, uh, he was brought up predominantly from the age of two to 15 by aunts. You know, he had 15 to 20 of them, as he says, all ready and willing to look after me because his parents were in the uh, living in Hong Kong and working out there and the, they couldn't return. So he had a very, uh, Francis Donaldson, uh, the biographer of, of, one of the biographers of P.G. Woodhouse, says something along the lines that at that time, he, his uh, emotions were somewhat frozen. And so that's there's certain themes which you'll never find in P.G. Woodhouse's book. You'll find plenty of falling in love. You'll find plenty of goofiness. You'll find plenty of of of, of slapstick and humor and wonderful, wonderful comic language. But you won't find anything particularly dark or uh, emotionally deep. Uh, and again, the play looks into why that might be the case. Um, I mean, before I make it sound too, too too dark, it's not. It's all gone, sort of shown through the prism of of uh, his his life and his obsession with again, you know, getting a laugh, which uh, was something that George Orwell again said. You know, he has the the, the comedian's ruling passion. He said to get a laugh, and um, he took it. He took comedy very seriously. Well, in the, in any case, the backdrop to it that he sustained was, broadly speaking, uh, that of the Roaring Twenties and uh, yeah. the, the, the Deco and the prosperity to a, to a degree. Um, he, he did bump into other things that were a bit less prosperous. Um, yeah. But the one of the great things from that was also the jazz era. And as Hugh Laurie sang so well in Jeeves and Worcester on telly, some years ago, where you were tuppy gossip in that series, the songs are great, and you have some songs in the show. We do. I mean, this was another reason for looking into um, into that. I mean, as you say, Hugh is a wonderful musician, 
Um, I had the great good fortune of doing the very last episode of A Bit of Fry and Laurie, where uh, they rather unwisely, I thought, when they asked me to do it, said, will you come on and, and play the trumpet while Hugh plays on the um, on the piano? And uh, I, he's a far greater, more accomplished musician than um, uh, I am by, by a country mile. But uh, yes, um, the music, we not many people seem to know, and why should they, I guess, that um, before he even became famous for his his writing, his books and his wonderful characters that we know and love today, um, he was one of Broadway's leading lyricists. He'd gone as a young man to uh, work uh, in, in America and establish himself as a writer over there, uh, which he succeeded in quite brilliantly. But he also... Um, was asked to write lyrics. Uh, he struck up a partnership which was hugely influential on the on the American musical, with uh, Guy Bolton, who would write the book. Uh, Plum would write the lyrics, and the great Jerome Kern would write the music. And they establish a, a, a trio, and they put him successful shows, and they would credited for changing the American musical, because up to that time, it had been full of uh, European imports, Gilbert Sullivan, Viennese, uh, operetta and stuff like that. But for the first time, they started to write uh, um, musicals, which sounded American, uh, using the vernacular, the American vernacular, which um, both uh, Bolton and Woodhouse did, and um, scored a huge success. And from that, Woodhouse was very much in demand, went on to work uh, with Cole Porter on Anything Goes, went on to work with uh, both George and Ira Gershwin, um, Hammerstein as well. So if he had never, ever written a Jeeves and Worcester novel or a Blanding's Castle novel, uh, he would still be um, known as a huge influence on the on what is known as the great american musical uh, even so i'm so glad that he wrote bertie worcester and jeeves who are two of the most iconic <laughs> figures ever and probably the cream of uh woodhouse's output perhaps um you know yes I, I, I would i would say so he you know he he, he sort of wrote about them for sort of 50 odd years so he was very fond of them too um, I mean, you're an expert on on, on Woodhouse uh, as well, so you 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 know that he he just couldn't stop writing. So, uh, and if he didn't have anything to write, it really worried him. And one of his last things before he died was 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 asked, you know, what's your biggest fear? Um, and it was a natural fact that any, the last chapters of any book I'm writing don't work out. Um, such a, a professional was he. So yes, um, and he brought us all these different words, worlds. We've got, you know, and apart from that, we've got the Gulf stories, we've got Eucridge, you've got Mr. Mulliner, all these wonderful series. Because as a writer, he developed all these stories by writing them in serialization like Dickens did, you know, uh, 80 years before. Um, all Lots of Dickens books, as we know, were written for weekly um, consumption in parts and would write them as they went along and and that's where Woodhouse struck uh, very very lucky really because he was allowed to do that and at the end of a serialization he would have a novel um, which was which was great and one that would had already been out to a wide audience and then was made into a book and sold as, as a book so he sort of was very fortunate by his own admission that he had that way into becoming a commercially successful writer apart from a um one of standing in the, in the world of literature 
Well, the people who are coming to this show as well will, of course, be seeing Robert Dawes, uh, albeit in uh, another guise. There's a so, downside to everything. Is, <laughs> but that, you can't have it all. You've appeared in so many things which I love. So House of Elliot, Jeeves and Worcester, Death in Paradise, um, numerous um, things. So if you'd like just to tell me a little bit more about Robert Dawes and also how you fell in love with Woodhouse... Uh, that will be lovely. Well, I, I, the, the, the doors part of that is a little bit boring, but the, the, the falling in love with Woodhouse is quite easy to to say. I mean, I up to the age of nineteen, I hadn't read a single word of, of P.G. Woodhouse. I'm, you know, I'm ashamed to say, um, unlike many people I've met who've sort of had the, the books since they were, you know, uh, early teens and 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 indeed earlier. Uh, I was in my last few weeks at uh, at Rada and I came in one morning and there was a large envelope uh, for me and I opened it and it was a letter from one of the uh, directors who'd been directing a play that term um, who was an actor himself and uh, called Tom Wilkinson who you'll know is an international you know actor now well known for countless wonderful things but he'd been directing and there was this book in it right oh geez a little note from Tom saying Bob um I thought you might like to read this. I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it. No need to give it back. All the very best. See you around, Tom. <clears throat> and I went, oh, that's very, very, very pleasant. So I, I read it over the Christmas period. And I thought, this is wonderful. And that's where that began. And I started reading through my early 20s and uh, and, and loving it. But then it sort of, uh, nothing happened until um, uh, I sort of was asked to go along and interview for the television series of Jeeves and Worcester with um, Stephen and Hugh, uh, adapted by a, a wonderful Clive Exton, a terrific writer, and was very fortunate to get the part. And, of course, work with those two guys, and Stephen in particular, as we all know, has got an encyclopedic uh, knowledge of, of, well, most things, really. And uh, in particular... Um, Woodhouse and we were sitting there on the very first day uh, we'd arrived for filming in a Cotswolds we were in a hotel the night before in the Cotswolds and we were filming all through the week in a nice stately pile uh, as is appropriate and uh, I was sitting and they'd just arrived um, Stephen and Hugh and we were in the bar we we're having a drink and they'd just come back from the recording the night before the very last episode of Blackadder and uh, they were quite effusive because they'd been quite surprised because that they had played the end of that iconic episode where Blackadder and everyone goes over the top and, it, and the, the, the fields of the battlefields turn into fields of poppies and whatever. And so they were quite sort of overcome by the effect that that had come had on the audience. But anyway, we got on the next day. We were all in costume, and I was sitting with Stephen, and I said, "You know, I've been reading." been reading these books and I'm trying to find a you know I know who Tuppy is it's very clear but I can't there's no real description and Stephen said no 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 Plum didn't really go overboard on character descriptions in his book I said oh right he said but I can give you one I think it's from the New York stories yeah there's a there's a chapter where Tuppy is described uh rather unhappily as looking like a bulldog that has just had its dinner snitched um, and I went, marvellous. So I thought, right, how can I do this? And, and so that's why all through the, the series, 
Tuppy was always had a bag of sweets on, or if there was a cake over here. I mean, it, it was constantly engaged in, in eating food. So I've got um, Stephen uh, to, th to thank for that. But then over the years, I've sort of got closer because I've, I've managed to somehow, oh, quite by accident, um, not by design, work with three of the of the great Bertie Worcesters, who actors who portrayed them. Uh, Richard Bryars, who did it, of course, with Michael Horton on the radio. Uh, uh, Hugh uh, from the television series, and also because I did nine years in a series called The, the Royal with a, an actor called Ian Carmichael, who uh, many many people love and know, who played Bertie Worcester during the sixties. So one thing leads to another, and that's how we got to the player. One day I suddenly thought, well, we know an awful lot about his books, but we don't know much about him. So maybe there's a play to be had. So I approached my friend William Humble, who's an Emmy award-winning writer and. Uh, uh, a person I admire greatly and he said I'd love to do it it's absolutely smashing so um, it's been five years we had a big Covid size gap in the middle of proceedings um, and uh, now at last it's, it's taken to the stage well thank you for adding to the legacy of Woodhouse in this way and in a final question and I'm going to give you a choice here whether you were Jeeves or Worcester and uh, they were to comment on this show, what do you think they might say? Well, Bertie, uh, Bertie would undoubtedly say, well, the whole thing's absolutely top home. Um, spiffing stuff, all of it. Um, uh, what's another thing he might just say? Is that, oh, coming to display, absolutely marvellously written and marvellously stuff with, 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 with uh, uh, Mr Woodhouse. I mean, let's face it, he could put a pretty good spin on the ball when he puts his mind to it. I mean, when Woodhouse gets his eye in, he can crack them through the covers like nobody's business. That's what I hope he'd say mm. anyway. And as for Jeeves, um, going to the theatre, sir, in that hat, I'd hardly advocate it. Mm. Yeah, so I, I was just reading a, a bit which um, uh, Bertie was having a, a debate about some crisis in his affairs. And uh, he, he said to um, Jeeves, uh, this is not the time to talk about evening dress, uh, Jeeves. Uh, and uh, Jeeves replies, um, I, I'm yet to encounter a, an occasion when one cannot talk about If you got out of Jeeves uh, with your show, most interesting, sir, uh, that would be yes. probably about as top a compliment as you would give anything. Absolutely, absolutely. And when we look into that and how Jeeves tends to manage to enter rooms without opening doors, it's all in all in the show. And basically, the whole idea for the show was just to sort of is is to is to entertain. To I mean, I've, I've said the best thing I do is just get out of the way and let let Woodhouse come through and all his characters speak for themselves. And and Bill's written a play which uh, uh, allows me to do that. And so really, that's that's it. I mean, it's it's, it's not a it's not a, an A level thesis. On, on Woodhouse or anything like that. I mean, the whole nature of the show is it's supposed to be fun that we spend an hour and a half in his company with his songs and his and his characters, and hopefully people will go out, you know, whistling the tunes and with a smile on their face. And uh, so that's 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 our hope. Well, speaking uh, on behalf of the Bromley Buzz, we can't wait. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me 